Well, hey, y'all. Um, so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to RUF. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here uh, at, for RUF at the University of Texas. Um, maybe this is your first time here tonight. If it is, we're just so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit of a story that kind of illustrates what I think RUF is about. So um, I used to be a youth pastor in Houston, and we would take um, groups from our church to Belize uh, on mission trips. And one year we took uh, a group of students, and one of the things that we would do, there was this village that we'd always go to, and um, all of, we would like work uh, and do manual labor during the day in the afternoon. All the kids from the village, which was about 150 kids, would gather into this one-room church building, and we would tell them stories about uh, Jesus from the Bible. And one day, um, so we, I want you to imagine, like, you've got these high school, these, like, sweaty high school kids, like, up there trying to act out a story from the Bible. And my friend, Joe, is narrating the story of what's happening. And then you've got a room full of, like, little kids from Belize who are just sitting there listening and most of them spoke English. It's actually the national language of Belize. Fun fact. Anyway, um, so my friend Joe is narrating what happens in this story. And he's telling the story about when Jesus spits um, on some dirt on the ground and rubs it in this blind man's eyes to heal him of his blindness. And our, our high schoolers have gotten really into it. They're actually acting it out. One of the guys is like, I'm actually going like, to spit the dirt and do the can I rub it in your eye? And I was like, yeah, dude, it'd be awesome. So they're going to they're do this. They're like selling out. They're going for it. And uh, my friend is narrating. So then, so then Jesus spit on some dirt and made mud and rubbed it in the blind man's eyes. And Jesus looked at the blind man and he told him. And then the, the boy who was playing Jesus had a line. He was supposed to say what Jesus said to the blind man. But the guy who was playing Jesus forgot his line. He had no idea what to say. And so Jesus is just like standing in front of all these kids with like, he has no idea what to say next. And he looks at my friend narrating the story. He's like, what do I say? And my friend's like, say, go wash in the pool, which is what Jesus says in that story, go wash in the pool. And the guy playing Jesus looks at him and he's like, okay, yeah. And he turns to the blind man in front of all these kids and goes, go wash, you fool. <laughs> and all these little police kids are like, And I tell you that story because I think when a lot of us come to a religious place, gathering or church or whatever, and we think about how God feels towards us, I actually think that that if many of us were honest, if I was honest about the way I think God deals with me, is actually pretty close to what the bad Jesus said. In that story. Go wash, you fool. Like, get your act together. What's wrong with you? But what we believe here at RUF, what we think the Bible clearly teaches over and over throughout the pages of Scripture, is that God is a God who welcomes sinners, who welcomes people who aren't clean. And because God is loving, because God cares, what He actually does is He loves us as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us as we are. And so what we look at every week in RUF is at the word of God and how it speaks to people like me and people like you who need good news. So uh, look in your handout, if you will. We're gonna, I'm going to read um, from Acts 2, and then we'll pray and dive into this. 
This is God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They being uh, the Christians, which is like a small band of like 120 people at this point. And suddenly there, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is God's word. Let me pray for us now. Father, I thank you for these people who have given their time to now gather around your word together and consider what kind of God you claim to be. And I pray that you would give us understanding into this beautiful but also complex passage that you have given us. And I thank you that we have this time now together. I pray that you bless people who are here, um, that they might hear of a good, uh, a good news of a good God. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever come up against something in your life and you just feel like, is, is this ever going to change? Like, man, I, I'll be honest, I, I feel this all the time. I feel it in my own life when I'm looking at the things that I struggle with. And I wonder, am I ever, ever going to get better at this? Am I ever going to change? I think about this when I, I mean, my job is I go and like pastor people and I see sadness and hardship and brokenness in this world and our lives. And I got to be honest, sometimes I drive home and I think, is, is this ever going to change? Maybe, maybe you look, get on social media or you turn on the news and you see the crazy divisiveness in our country right now on like all kinds of levels. And you wonder, is anything, is this going to change? It seems like it's only getting worse. I remember I was um, on a road trip with a buddy of mine 
who's from Mexico, and he was telling me about um, just his life growing up and uh, how much he loved the town in Mexico where he's from. And uh, he was describing to me how he's, um, particularly in the neighborhood where he grew up, how he's scared to go back there. And he was telling me about um, just all of the corruption that uh, family members of his have experienced uh, at the hands of police there, and um, and just like how involved like organized crime is in his neighborhood. And he's telling me about how there's just like there's no safe place in his old neighborhood, and he's just opening up to me and telling me about this. And I finally was like. What, can, what, what are we going to do? Like, what's going to change it? Is in, like, how, how is this ever going to be better? And I'm sitting there thinking, like, what kind of policies need to be made? Like, what kind of things are going to happen? And my friend looked at me. He said, John, the, the only thing that's going to change it is if the Spirit of God moves in that place. And what he is saying, what he was claiming in that is that there actually is a power that can make things change. That the Bible claims that on a micro level, like in our own personal lives, and on a macro level, that God has given us something that will change us in this world. And it's the Holy Spirit. And you've got these disciples. Jesus, remember last week we talked about how Jesus ascends into heaven. And the disciples are just kind of like, wait, where are you going? Like, what are we doing? We thought that like, things were going to be better now. Why are you leaving us? Jesus ascends into heaven. And they find themselves wondering, like, what do we do now? He's left us with this mission to go tell everyone about him. What do we do? And we find them here in the beginning of this passage in verse 1. And they're, just, they're gathered together on this feast called Pentecost. And what Jesus does, because here's, a, here's the good news. God never stops working. He's always at work, even when you may not feel like he is. He's at work in your life. He's at work here right now. God is at work, and they're wondering what is going to happen, and what Jesus does is he sends the Holy Spirit. And So I want to look at three things. First, who is the Holy Spirit? Second, who's the Holy Spirit for? And third, what does the Holy Spirit do? So who is the Holy Spirit? All right, y'all, this passage evokes so much imagery and promises from the Old Testament. It's like this beautiful tapestry of Old Testament promises is finally being weaved together and prophecies is being weaved together in this moment at Pentecost. Um, And what we see is is the sending of the Holy Spirit. And, And in the Old Testament, God is, he's sometimes described as spirit, as the spirit of God. In the second verse of the Bible, it, it goes like this. The earth was without form and void. This is talking about the creation story. The earth was out, without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In a place where there's chaos and darkness, the spirit of God shows up and it brings life. But that's not the only place where we see God described as spirit. God's spirit is associated, all, you see him all through the book of Exodus. Remember we preached, we talked through that last year. In the spring. And God's spirit is associated with the book of Exodus and the Old Testament with fire. When, when God's people are wandering in the wilderness, 
How does God show up to them? God, he sends his spirit and his spirit is there by, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God, when, when, when Moses is asking, like, how are you going to dwell with this? How is this going to work? How can we be your people? God gives Moses instructions of how to build this tabernacle, which later becomes a more permanent version of the temple in Jerusalem. And when it's completed, what happens is God's spirit, his like, glory cloud of fire goes into the tabernacle. It goes into the temple. And that's the place where God dwells with his people. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, like, not many people had access to that place where God dwelt. In fact, where God's like, spirit specifically dwelt was in this place called the Holy of Holies. We're going to talk about this next Spoiler alert, in the spring I'm going to preach through Leviticus. Y'all get ready. It's going to be... It might be terrible. I don't know. But we're going to try. Um, but in the Holy of Holies, God dwelled with his people. But only one person got to go in there one day out of the year to make sacrifices before God on the Day of Atonement. But that is where God dwelled in his fiery glory with his people. And so... All of that imagery, all of that truth is being evoked here. In, in verse 2, look, you've got this, this sound like a mighty rushing wind evoking like the Spirit of God hovering over the, the face of the deep, the chaos of the world. The same life-giving Spirit that spoke life into the world is shown up again. And then in verse 3, you see these tongues of fire, divided fire, appearing and resting on each one of them. What is this saying? It's saying that... God has now come to dwell with his people. He's not removed. It's why, by the way, when Jesus dies on the cross, the first thing that happens that we see in the Gospels is the temple curtain that separates the Holy of Holies where God dwelt from the people is torn from top to bottom. As if God is saying, as if God himself is reaching down and ripping the curtain that separates man from God saying, I am with you now. You have access to me. In a whole new way because the Lamb of God has died for you. It's why Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away from you. The disciples had to be like, wait, but we love you, Jesus. Like, we've been following you for three years. We kind of have a lot invested in this. What do you mean it's to our advantage that you go away from us? He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is Jesus fulfilling that promise. He has gone into heaven. He has ascended to his throne. And now he has sent his spirit to be with them. And last week we said, because Jesus has ascended, you don't have to. Right? Because Jesus has gone into the heavens and is seated on the throne. That means that you don't have to somehow figure out how to ascend to God. How to be good enough for God. Because what the good news of the Bible is, is that over and over, God shows up to people who are in need down to them. See, this is, y'all, this is totally different. This is totally novel to the Christian faith. And what I mean by that is that for the other religions of the world, God is hidden. He is hidden and you need to do, you need to do something to access him. You need to um, obey some sort of truths. You need to live a certain kind of virtuous life. You need to reach a certain state of enlightenment. You need to follow some kind of advice. 
But what the good news of the gospel is, what Christianity says, is that it's the opposite. God is not hidden. You know who's hidden in the story of the Bible? We are. The first thing that Adam and Eve do when they sin, they hide. In Genesis 3, when they sin, God comes looking for them. They're not looking for God. The good news of the gospel is that God comes looking for us. That God comes to people who hide from him, and he doesn't let their hiding stop him because he loves them too much. And what we see here is that God is coming to his people. That Jesus is sending the Spirit. He says this later, he says this in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. And listen to what he promises. And I will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What Jesus is saying is that, he's, that God is too good of a father to leave us here as orphans. To wait for us to somehow get up the gumption to, to be good enough to get to him. No, what happens here instead is that once again, just as Jesus came down from heaven to earth to save us, he has now sent Spirit of God to be here with us because he cares I think when some of us think about, like, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Like, how, how do we access the Holy Spirit? We think about it kind of the same way that the people who put on the fire festival thought about fire festival. You guys see the fire festival Netflix documentary? I haven't watched that movie one. I've heard it's, like, even crazier. I need to do that. But have y'all watched it? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. It's just like, if you just want to watch somebody else's life fall apart for, like, two hours and just feel better about yourself, go home and watch Fire Festival on Netflix. It's like, it kind of makes you feel horribly anxious the whole time you're watching it, but it does make you feel better about yourself. I don't know if you just need that. Anyway, so this, this guy, um, Billy McFarland, oh Billy, man. Billy McFarland, he tries, he tries to conjure up this festival, this music festival, out of thin air. And the whole time you're watching it, like, you're just waiting for them to throw up their hands and be like, okay, you know what, like, we give up. Okay, we couldn't find the island, like, no executive chefs coming here, like, Blink-182 canceled on us, like, you know, that's, you're like, blink is canceled on you, like, it's going to be a bad music festival. Anyway, like, everything is going wrong, but they just kind of keep on trying, keep on trying to get everything all lined up, and if we just do this, like, the fire festival, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, if we can just make everything line up, and it just doesn't. You, they can't conjure it up. And I think that that's the way we view how we get the Holy Spirit. I can just feel like super emotional. And just get like, just got really in touch with my feelings. And if like things, if, if, if I have this emotional experiment, experience because I've like done all of these things right. And I feel better about like how I've been reading my Bible and showing up at RUF and doing all these things then like, I will have access to the Holy Spirit. Do you see what the disciples do to get access to the Holy Spirit? Nothing. He comes upon them. They do nothing to access it. They're just together. That's what they do. They like stick together. And that's it. Because God is a God who will not leave you as an orphan. He shows up. 
And he goes to work because he loves us. And if you're wondering who the Holy Spirit is for, we get a big clue with these languages. All those, all those like foreign words that I like. Man, I, I was pretty proud of myself. I nailed a lot of those words, y'all. I like practice. Pamphylia, did y'all see that? Dang. Anyway, like, I, if you're wondering who the Holy Spirit is for, you get a massive clue with these languages. Because, I mean, think about it. If, if next week you came to RUF and like all of the songs were in Italian, and like I got up and was like, buongiorno, and I like, started like preaching in Italian, you would be, most of you, I don't know, maybe some of you speak Italian, but most of you would probably be like, I'm not sure I'm the target audience. I don't know if this is for me, right? But what happens here? What's being communicated with all of these languages, which frankly describe, if you look at a map of where, where all of these are, it's north, south, east, west, Africa, Asia, Europe, all of these places are represented. They're in Jerusalem because they're there for this feast called Pentecost, which is, by the way, known as the Feast of the Harvest or the Feast of the First Fruits. And what we see is the first fruits of the harvest of God, of what King Jesus has come to do. And what we see is that God is here for every kind of person. He is it, it would have been even different if, like, instead of, I was thinking, like, what if you inverted the miracle and they all just heard like, you know, the dude who's from um, Cyrene just hears the disciples speaking, and to him, it's in Hebrew, but he understands it. That would, that would communicate something different. Almost like there needs to be some homogenizing here for you to, like, get into our group. You need to become more like us. But what we see here, which, by the way, what we see is the image of a God who is triune who is unified and diverse in his essence. He's not three separate persons. He's also not one person all alone. He's not one God all alone. He is one God in three persons. And so that means God in his essence for eternity, I know this is kind of a mind blower, for eternity, God has existed in community with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is, he is for diversity. And we see that here in this passage. We see that carried out throughout the rest of the scriptures. This is a redemption of what we see in Genesis. In Genesis 11, all of these people try to build a tower into heaven. They're going to be ascenders. Remember like we talked about last week? They're going to be good enough to get into heaven. They're going to build this tower called Babel and get into heaven. And what God does, mercifully, is he confuses their language so that they can't do it. Because them ascending into heaven is the last thing they need. What they need is a God who will come down to them. But what we see here is not just like Babel unwound, like now like everyone's going to understand each other. What we see is like Babel redeemed. Because now what God is doing is he is going to reach all these different kinds of people who represent all these different kinds of cultures. And each of them are going to express the beauty of bearing the image of God in their own different ways in their culture. And it's described, like if you think that I'm like making this up, listen to, this is the second to last chapter of the Bible when it's describing heaven. This is how heaven's described. By, the, by its light of heaven will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory in, and its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. And listen, God's people will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. 
the glory and the honor of the nations will be in heaven. Do you know what this means? This means like the best part of France will be in the new heavens and the new earth. French wine will be there. It's the glory of the nations. French wine, Korean food, German ingenuity, African textiles, American jazz, Canadian something. I don't, but like the glory of, I'm just kidding. Canadians, we love you. But like the glory of the nations will be there. Because God's target, what we see here with these languages is that God is for all kinds of people. What that means then, what the Holy Spirit does, is the Holy Spirit, we see in Acts 2, begins to bring people together who would never otherwise be together. The only, the only reason that they could be together is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Christ's church has always looked like. That Jew and Gentile can be together because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Men and women, rich and poor, religious and pagan, are together because of the work of the Spirit. We're united by Him. Do you know what I think, what I pray that God like, continues to do? And I'm seeing Him. I want you to know, I'm seeing Him do this in y'all. There is, this, this campus is pretty segregated. I don't know if you knew that. And um, you may have noticed. Um, and one, like, and I'm not even talking about like ethnicity. I even mean like Greek and independent students. Like I've talked to Greek students like, I'm kind of scared of wearing my letters on campus because like I don't want my professor to blow me off. And I've heard independent students being like, I'm terrified to come to RUF because like everyone feels Greek there and like I don't know if I fit in. And it can be, I just think that that's in the water here. And I think as, as I've watched y'all grow to love each other and know each other, particularly students who are Greek independent, I think when people come and they see that, they get a taste of heaven. Because that's what heaven's going to be like. Where all kinds of people are loving each other. People who you wouldn't expect to love each other. I think one of the ways that RUF is going to bear witness to this campus about the good news of Jesus is the way that we love outsiders. People who would typically be an outsider in whatever, whether you're an independent, someone would be an outsider to you, or whether you're a Greek, someone would be an outsider to you. Because what we see in the family of God that he's building right here is the people you would never expect to be together and loving each other or loving each other. Fiji's and Rose loving each other, right? Like people from Houston and Dallas loving each other. Greeks and independents, baby boomers and millennials, humanities majors and engineering majors. Sooner fans and educated people. Like, everyone is, everyone is loving each other. People that you wouldn't expect. And only the work of the Holy Spirit can do this. I want to read to you a story. Um, this is from uh, a spiritual hero of mine. Her name's Corey Timboom. Corey Timboom. Um, you should just, like, Google image her. She's, like, the cutest old lady ever. Seriously. Um, she was a Dutch Christian uh, who was part of the Dutch resistance during World War II um, to the Nazis. She and her sister, um, Betsy, cared for uh, refugee Jews during 
um, during World War II, and they hid them and they cared for them, but they were eventually captured and taken to uh, Ravensbrück Extermination Camp for Women. Um, Corey Ten Boom watched uh, as her sister Betsy was taken away and murdered along with many other women. The only way that Corey got out was by a clerical error that released her and a couple of other prisoners. And like a week later, all the women were exterminated in her camp. And what she did for the rest of her life is she went around and she preached forgiveness to people. And she said one day, this is her words, I'll begin quoting her now. She says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at that first shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of our clothing. My sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them, she says. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. So as I shook his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered, listen to this, and so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but it's on his When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with that command, the love itself. That's the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit, it's love. Where do we get that? How is is Texas RUF going to be a place of love? How are you maybe, if you're here, you're not a Christian, you're like, I don't know if I believe this. I can't imagine changing. How is change going to happen? It is going to be the work of God in you. It's not about you pulling up yourself out of your bootstraps and getting religious and feeling better about yourself. Good news is, God's not waiting for you to do that. He welcomes you now, mess and all, because He is a good Father who does not leave us orphaned. And He moves towards us in our weakness and in our need. That's who God is. Why can we be a people like this? How can we be a people like this? The only way is because of what the Holy Spirit does. I love this. In verse 22, so the Holy Spirit comes. All these people start speaking all these different languages. Some other people are like, man, people are like, 
wasted or something. It's like early morning too. Like, why are they doing this? They're drunk on new wine. And Peter, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And you would imagine that the message of Peter would, he would be like, hey, the Holy Spirit's here. I'm going to preach a sermon on the Holy Spirit. But that's not what he preaches. Because that's not what the Holy, the Holy Spirit is like the shy member of the Trinity. One of my seminary professors said. Because what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit illumines the heart to who Jesus Christ is. And Peter stands up and begins preaching the gospel of the good news of Jesus, of the God who has come down to rescue sinners. He begins telling them about Jesus. Look at verse 22. He talks about all of the wonders and signs that Jesus has done. And then he tells them, and guess what, y'all? You killed him. You murdered him. And what you would imagine that, like, the whole, so what happens is, like, the Holy Spirit convicts their heart when they hear that. In verse 37, they're like, what do we do? You're right. We did this horrible thing, and we're guilty. What do we do? And you would kind of imagine that Peter would be like, well, y'all should start bracing yourself. Because you messed up royally. Or you need to get your act together. But you know what he does? It's a crazy sounding. He's like, you killed Jesus. What do we do? Come to Jesus. Come to him. He is good. He will forgive. Repent. That's why I would hold out to you. That's why I, man, I need to hear that. That we can come to Jesus in our mess, in our sin. This is the true God. And I want you, you like, listen, on an, even on, like a, on a heart level and on an intellectual level, you've got to deal with this. Because the reality is, these 120 people, that comprise, they're like a teeny tiny dot on the map. By the year 300, there are 3 million Christians of all different kinds of tribe and tongue and nation. And the world has never seen anything like that, I'm telling me. There has never been a multi-ethnic, multinational religious movement that has ever come close to anything like this. How did it happen? What if the Holy Spirit is real? What if that's the best explanation? What if there really is a God who is so good that he came down to rescue us by sending his son, by sending... His son, and then he sends his spirit to bear witness to the work of his son to work in our lives. What if this is true? What if God welcomes you? He's not hiding. What if this is true? Do you know the freedom of peace that's held out to you tonight? It's an invitation. Let me pray for us.